Well, hey, welcome all of you to X Church at Home. Hey, I am so glad that you are inviting me into your house. I know that's a little weird, but in this strange time, I just want to say, man, thank you for tuning in. Wherever you are, wherever you're tuning in from, whether X Church is your church home or this is just a time where you're leaning in and trying to find God, I just want to say I'm glad to connect with you today. And I hope that you've been joining us for this incredible series. We've actually been talking about what it looks like to live unshaken in uncertain times. Isn't that right, guys? Come on, hey, can you all give it up? Help me welcome my live studio audience. Got some new faces here today. Ugh. And, uh, man, we're, we're just excited to be able to talk about this, this thing that we're all dealing with. We're all living in a time where we're dealing with the pandemic and and we're actually just trying to learn what it looks like to live unshaken in uncertain times. What does it look like? Jesus said these words. This is the theme of our entire series. Jesus said, anyone who hears his words and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. That when storms come and crash and beat against it, that it does not fall. And what we want more than anything is to be able to go through moments like this, to go through hardship, to go through challenges, and to still be standing. But you know one of the things that I think that we're trying to learn to survive moments like this is not just our faith, but it's also our finances. And I don't know if any of you are feeling a little worried or concerned but I think right now, a lot of us are a little bit unnerved when it comes to the financial impact of COVID-19. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I, I know I'm in that same boat where we don't know what to expect. We have no idea. We think about the unemployment rate is as high as it's ever been recording in our history because of the pandemic. And I think there's a lot of concern. And I think some of you, maybe you share that concern. Maybe you're wondering if you're even going to have a job when all of this does come and back and we get to open up because maybe your business or your company that you're a part of, you're not sure if it's going to survive. That's a real concern that a lot of people have. I think a lot of people right now, we're nervous. We've seen the stock market just crash, just drop a massive amount. And you're looking at your retirement portfolio drop drastically. I mean, let's be honest. We're all living in a time right now where so many of us are so worried and so concerned financially. You guys see it? I mean, I'm just seeing it. I see the panic. I see people freaking out, nervous. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm a little bit nervous. I mean, this affects us all in different ways. And maybe some of you, it's, you, you haven't lost your job or your income. Some of you have. Some of you, it's just you're thinking about your business and whether it's going to survive. You're thinking about what the future is going to look like, how your house values might plummet or drop, or the dreams and the plans that you had for your life. And one of the things that I believe is the greatest tragedy in all of this situation, I've been saying it since the beginning, and that is this, that we would go through something like this and not get something from it. That we would walk through a painful season like a pandemic where we're quarantined and shut down and business and the market has just crashed and not get something from it. And I believe that God wants to, he wants to give us something in this season that will carry us into the future. And so I don't want to just have my faith survive. I don't know about you guys, but I want my finances to survive. I want to know how to survive situations like this. Today, uh, I want to be incredibly practical, okay? Today, I, this message is it's one that I believe that maybe uh, some of us, like, there, I think there are some messages, guys, that we like to hear, 
that we want to hear. Do you know, like, like in the Bible, there's some verses. You know what I'm talking about, Eddie? There's some verses that we want to hear, how God is for us and God is blessing us. God. There are some things we want to hear, and then I found out that there are also some things that we have to hear. There's some things we need to hear. There are some messages and some stories and some verses that I don't necessarily like, but we need to hear. And I believe that there is a message that God has for us right now. It is so real for right now that I believe that God wants to speak to our lives, that if we will put into practice some of the things we're going to discover today from God's word, it's going to put a foundation under you. It's going to put some footers in the ground financially that will help you survive. Not just your faith but your finances. Today's title, if you guys are ready, you're going to write it down, okay? okay? Today's title for our talk today is this, Surviving Financial Famines. I want to talk about how to survive financial famines. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible of a character that I just love. He has one of the most amazing stories. It is a drama. It would make an incredible movie. I'm talking about a guy named Joseph. You all know about Joseph, right? The guy who had a coat of many colors, right? I want to talk about Joseph. If you got a Bible with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick up his story in Genesis 41 today because I believe that there's something in this ancient story that really can speak to right now. Genesis 41, we're going to be there in a moment. Now, let me give you the backstory. Because there's, there's nothing like jumping into the middle of a movie and you miss the first part and you don't have the context. So let me give you the backstory on Joseph. Joseph we find as a young man in Genesis 37. He's 17-year-old. He's got dreams. God had given him these dreams, these aspirations for life. And he told them to his brothers and they got upset with him. And so his brothers ended up taking him angry and throwing him into a pit. And they had planned to leave him for dead in, the, in this pit. But here's one of the things that we see all throughout. There's a theme I find all throughout Joseph's story. And every trial he's in, and that is this, that God was with him there. That God was with him in the pit. Why? Because his brothers didn't leave him for dead. But one of them had an idea. Let's sell him into slavery and get some money for him. Now, I know that doesn't sound like that's a great alternative, but it's better than dying in the pit. And so God was with them in that moment. And as some Ishmaelites came by, they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph ends up next in Egypt on the auction block as a slave. And he ends up getting picked up by a guy named Potiphar. You all know the story. He gets picked up by a guy named Potiphar. And he goes to become a slave in Potiphar's house. And guess what God's word says in Genesis 39? It says that God was with him. God blessed everything that Joseph did, even as a slave in Potiphar's house. So much so that the, the Potiphar left nothing. He, he left everything in charge to Joseph. And then Joseph got falsely accused of something he did not do. And he ends up getting thrown in the prison. And guess what? God was with him in the prison. You know, I love the story of Joseph. Can I tell you one of the reasons why I love it? It's because everything alliterates. If you're a preacher, you need to know that. That God was with Joseph in the pit. God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house, and God was with Joseph in the prison. And here in prison, God begins to reveal some things to Joseph and the gift that he has to interpret dreams. Why is that important? Because one day later, he stands before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And it's there that he has an opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity to speak truth to the king of the land. Why? Because that king had these dreams. 
he had these crazy dreams, okay? These just, I mean, they were, they were insane. I don't know if you've ever had a dream that was so weird and so crazy at the same time you thought, oh my gosh, this feels so real. I don't know if you've ever woken up. Like, that's what happens to the, the king, and they need someone to interpret the dreams, and guess what? Joseph is the guy. Why? Because God was with him. Can I just tell you this? I believe that we might not be in the pit. We might not be in Potiphar's house. We might not be in the prison, but we are dealing with a pandemic. You see what I did there? We are dealing with a pandemic. And, and here's the thing. I believe there's a message in this for us just in Joseph's life. Because if God was with him in all of those things and they looked awful, can I just tell you that God, I believe, is with us right now in the middle of this pandemic. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it when you're in the pit or in the prison or in a pandemic. But Joseph began to see it, and he had a new perspective on the other side when he looked back. And I believe that we're going to get to the other side of this. We will. I, I want you to hold on to hope. I want to encourage you today. I believe we're going to get through this, but there's something that we're going to discover when we get to the other side and we look back. We're going to realize that God was with us in the pandemic. And so the king has these crazy dreams. Let me tell you what the dreams are, and then I'll, I'll tell you what Joseph does. He has these dreams where, where he first, as he's sleeping, he sees these seven fat, juicy cows. I'm talking black Angus beef. We're talking some of the best kind. I, mean, I don't know if you're a, a meat eater, but, but oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're from Texas. You have to be, right? I mean, seven cows, they were named ribeye, New York strip, filet. I mean, these are these, these cows, right? They're gorgeous. These big, and then all of a sudden, he sees seven gaunt, skinny, ugly, you know, cows like the kind you find in Florida. Because here in Ohio, we got these big, juicy ones. But, and they kind of, I didn't mean to offend anybody if you're all from Florida, but I, I've seen those cows. They're a little scrawny to me. And, and, and these scrawny cows end up eating and swallowing the big, juicy steaks, the big cows. Again, that's weird because I thought the cows eat chicken. That's what I always thought. Isn't that what we always saw? Eat more chicken? Isn't that always the commercials that I saw? But no, they ate the other cows. He woke up, freaked out, and then he goes back to bed. And then he has another dream, and it's similar. There's a single stalk of grain, and on it, seven heads of grain grow out of it, and they're big and juicy and plump and delicious. I don't know if grains... Heads of grain are delicious, but I'm just picturing they're big and they're delicious. And then it says that seven just scorched and scrawny grains of head came out of the same stock and swallowed them up. And the king wakes up and he's freaking out. And he knows that it means something. It's one of those dreams that's so real, but he has no idea what it means. And no one can interpret his dreams. No one except for Joseph. Why? Because God was with Joseph. And so Joseph got the opportunity to come in front of the king. And here's what Joseph said after God had given him the interpretation. We're going to Genesis 41, start with verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And the reason that this dream 
was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Here's this moment where uh, the king gets the luxury of knowing what God is about to do. How many of you would love to know what God is about to do in your life? Come on, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I think if most of us knew that um, God was going to bless us or that we were going to experience hardship, like, here's what I'm saying. I wonder if we knew that we were going to be in a pandemic, would we have prepared for it differently? Yeah, I bet. How many of you would have bought more toilet paper if you had known <laughs> that you were going to be in the pandemic? But, but we don't know. That, that's the hard part is that we don't know, but in this case, The king knew because God sent Joseph and these dreams to interpret and tell him what he was about to do. Now, here's what he said he was about to do, guys. He said that God is going to bring abundance, blessing for seven years. Seven years that the the, the market is just going to go up and to the right. The Dow is going to climb. The S&P 500. Seven years of abundance. Man, I like that, okay? Followed by seven years of famine. And that God had firmly decided what he was going to do. You know, there's an interesting question that brings up when you hear the story of Joseph. It's a question that I think if I had an opportunity to ask God some questions, this would be one that's on my list. And maybe, maybe I'll get a chance one day when we get to eternity. Or maybe I won't have that question anymore. But I guess it's this question, guys. This is what I want to know. I don't know if this is something you think about. Why does God need to bring famine anyways? Why? I wonder if some of you have wondered that. Why would God bring or allow famine? I mean, I like blessing. Like, I'm good with that. I'm all for God bringing blessing. But what we learn from Joseph's story is that God brought abundance and he was bringing famine. I mean, surely he could have stopped it if he knew what it was going to happen seven years from now. God would bring blessing and he would bring famine. And I have wondered, I don't know if some of you wondered, maybe this is one of the reasons why you feel like you've had a struggle in believing in God. Why does God allow hardship? Why does God allow pain? Why does God allow us or, or, uh, to go through situations of dealing with cancer, natural disasters? Why, 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 why not just stop that? Why even bring it? It makes no sense. You're going to bring blessing on one, and then you're going to bring famine? Why do that? And I know some of you, maybe this is a big question you've had, and you're waiting for me to answer it for you. And, and I'm not sure I have the answer that you like. I'm not sure I have the answer that I like. But if you were to ask me, why would God bring that? Here's what I would say. Well, I'm going to come back to that question at the end of the message. Sorry, guys, okay? I, a little bit of a teaser, I want to come back to that after we get into the story. Because I do believe that there's something that we can take with this. Why does God allow this? But for now, you're just going to have to, you're going to, have to wait. I'm going to keep you around. And so Joseph, he's, he's here in front of the king, and he tells him what's about to happen. And then he kind of oversteps. I don't, I don't know if it's overstepping his bounds. But Joseph takes a big gamble, a big risk. And not only does he give him the interpretation, but he actually gives him a suggestion on how he can deal with it, a plan. And here's what he says in Genesis 41, verse 33 through 36. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man 
and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. I can only picture it, guys. I'm picturing this moment that he's kind of like, look for a, a, a wing, a dis, I don't know, look for a discerning and wise man. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Verse 34, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land. And to take a what? If you see that word underlined, would you say it with me? And to take a fifth, a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country. To be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Here's what he said. Find someone wise and discerning. You know what I've found a lot of times, and I'm just speaking to those who are Christ followers. I think you get to a situation like, like a famine or you get to a situation where uh, we're in great need. And a lot of us, here's what we want. We want God to provide a miracle when maybe what God wants to do is provide a plan. We want a miracle. I'm looking for God to provide. A- I think sometimes we're asking God to do things, maybe in a situation like this. God, I need a miracle. God, I need a financial miracle. God, I need this. That we're asking God, can I say it this way, guys? That, that maybe we're asking God for a bailout rather than a plan, a lesson. I want, I know God is my provider, so he's going to show up with a miracle when I need a miracle because I'm going through a famine. What if God, what if God wants to teach us something in this season, so maybe the next one, that we can survive a financial famine? Instead of saying, I need a bailout. Bailouts are some of the worst things that can happen to our economy. Yeah, it might keep businesses afloat, but what's it do to us? And so I think there are some lessons in this, a difficult season we're going through. And I want this to be practical, but I want it to be so helpful. And so I, I want to share just a couple lessons today, just two lessons, okay? That's all we got time for, two lessons today that we learn from this story to give us a solid foundation so we can survive financial famines. The first one is this, conservation is the key to preservation. Let me say it again. Conservation is the key to preservation. Isn't that good? I'll give you a second to write that down, Pastor Steve. Conservation is the key to, you, you know, we know about conservation. I mean, we think about the natural resources of this planet. I, I would say one of the biggest talking points right now in our culture, socially, when we think about politically, is about conser- conserving the earth's resources. That's a big thing, right? We know it's important. If we're going to preserve our planet, we're going to have to conserve some things. Isn't that right? And so we're, we're learning. we got to conserve species. we got to conserve, you know, we got to conserve our animals and certain things. Otherwise, they become extinct and die out. And we lose some of the beauty of the creation that God has given to us. So we know we've got to conserve things. We have to conserve our trees. If we just keep cutting down all our trees, that we're going to be in serious trouble for oxygen. And so we, we have to learn to conserve these different things. We're learning to conserve natural resources that we have, that we've been given, that God has given. And that is great. I think it's important that we are wise, we're smart with our one planet. we got one planet. 
I don't know if we could go live on Mars. I'm not sure if Elon Musk has it right. I don't know. We got one planet and we, can cons- we conserve because that is how we preserve it. Conservation is the key to preservation. Here's what's interesting. Today, so many people are obsessed with conserving the Earth's natural resources, but we don't live like we even care about our personal resources. What about the personal resources that God has entrusted to us? Do we care anything about conserving those? Because what I find today, and I'll just speak to my generation first, okay, is that we are really good at spending, consuming, but we're not great at conserving. You know what I mean by conserve, right? Save. Like, let let, let me give you just a little history of of some generations. Um, We're almost 100 years removed from generation that grew up in the Great Depression. 20s, late 20s, 30s, okay, that time frame, leading into World War II. And if you know anybody from that generation, here's what you're going to know. They care desperately about saving money. Why? Because it was survival. It was survival. You didn't know if you'd have money to eat. You didn't know if you could survive. You want to talk about a famine? That was a famine. And then after World War II, guess what happened? There was an incredible abundance in this country. That's why um, they call them the baby boomers. Because after World War II, they had so much money and time, and it was great. That guess what? They, they started having kids. Life was good. They were having kids. They weren't worried about, can we feed our kids? And so they, we had bunches and bunches of kids. And, and so you have these boomers that grew up in a time where there was abundance. They kind of had parents that kind of had, you know, were like on the teeter-totter of, of this. And then my generation came. I'm a late Gen Xer. Late. Late. I just want to. Almost millennial, but I'm going to claim Gen X, all right? I'm a late Gen Xer. And my generation, we grew up with abundance. We grew up having stuff. We, we grew up not all, maybe you did, but not worried about where our next meal was coming from. And so here's what we did. We consumed it all. We have a consumer society, a consumer-based economy. The way it works is we buy, buy, buy. That's what we do. And we didn't save, we didn't store up, we spent and we spent and we spent. And all of a sudden, you can find yourself in a pandemic one day. And you spend and you spend and you spend, and you haven't conserved any of it. You haven't saved any of it. And we struggle to save. I struggle. I don't know if any of you guys do, but I think it was so difficult for our generations to save. Because why? We've been living in abundance. We've been living in the first seven years. And I was thinking about this. Why is it that we struggle to save? I don't know if any of you struggle to save. But let me give you just a few thoughts because I want you to think about this. If you struggle to save, let me give you just maybe three reasons why we struggle to save. And I want you to process this. I want you to think, okay, yeah, I don't like saving money. It's really hard. I can't really save money. Maybe it's going to be because of these things. Uh, First thought is this. We struggle to save because we're too impatient. We're too impatient. We want what we want, and we want it now. I I do not want to wait to buy something. I want to buy it now. I'm not going to wait. I can't. i got to have it, and i got to have it now. We are so impatient that that you know what we do? I brought this one. Um, We charge it, right? This is what we do. So my generation is growing up with these. Why? Because I'm too impatient. I'm not going to save. I need it, and I need it now, even if I don't have the money for it. 
And so we, we don't save and we struggle to save because, because we don't, we're impatient. Let me give you another one, another one. Sometimes I think we struggle to save money because we don't see the point. Now, I want you guys to think, just you guys are my audience, so I, I want you to think. Remember the moments when you were younger and you got some money? Yeah, your birthday, Christmas, your family gave you money. Okay, I want you to think about those moments or you got an allowance. And what's the first thing that your parents said to you when you got money? What did they say to you? You better save some of that. I don't know what your dad said to you, but that's, that's what my parents said. Did your parents say you, you better save some of that, and you're eight years old, and you don't have a care in the world, and you're not worried about where your next meal comes from, and you're thinking to yourself, why do I need to save it? You think, what's the point? I think we struggle to save because we don't see the point. I don't see the value. Let, let me give you another one. Uh, we struggle to save because we expect to always have more. We struggle to save. Maybe this will be you. Because we expect to always have more. Like I said, my generation, we've grown up in blessing. I'm thankful for it. I am so thankful for it. Listen, if you're watching this around the world, I don't know how you see Americans and think about them, but I'm just going to tell you, we are blessed, and I believe that God has blessed us, as, and I, I feel it. And we, we live better than most of the rest of the world. And here's the, the, the mindset that we have. There's always more. There's always more where that came from. My investments are always going to grow. I'm always going to get a promotion. I'm always going to get a raise. There's always more where that came from. This is what we often think. And what's happened is, listen, the blessing of God has become an expectation. I expect it. I anticipate. Up and to the right. Our, our sales should always go up every year. Our growth should always go up. And then sometimes we need to recognize that God gives us a blessing. And what happens is we normalize it and it becomes an expectation. And when we don't see it, we get mad at God. This is what happens. And maybe God wants to teach us something in this pandemic about conserving in fact, I want to share with you just quickly three levels. I'm going to spend most of my time on this first one, then we'll, we'll land with, with the other one. I want to share with you three levels of saving, because I want, I want this to be helpful today. I, I want this to really, maybe you've never been taught why you should save. And right now we're all in a pandemic, and people go, I can't save. You're going to learn this now, and you're going to survive a financial famine in the future. The first one is this, okay? Save for famines. Save for famines. What, what do I mean by that? I mean save for those moments that are unexpected where they sneak up and get you. We call them emergencies. If you hang out with Dave Ramsey, he'll tell you that you better have an emergency fund. I call it a famine fund. Save for famines. Do you have, I'm asking this, do you have a famine fund? Do you have some money? I remember learning this in my 20s. Dave Ramsey really helped me. He said, you need an emergency fund, and you need it today. And he told us this. Here's what he said. Start with $1,000. That seemed like a lot. He said, no, no, no. You need to start with $1,000. Do you have a famine fund? Why? Because famines happen. They will happen. No, no, no. God's just going to bless me. All my life. Listen, I understand. You can walk in the blessing of God and still experience a famine. 
Famines happen. Do you have an emergency fund? And here's what I would say. Start with $1,000. I've got my oldest daughter. She's going to be flying the coop soon. She's about to get married and move out. And we started this a while ago. She has an emergency fund. And it's got more than $1,000 in it. And I encouraged her to build. Why? Because emergencies happen. Your car will break down. Your, your hot water tank will go out. Your roof will need repair. You will get leaks. Your heater will go out. Your car will fall apart. Emergencies happen. They're part of life. You need a famine fund. If you don't have one, here's, here's your job today. You're going to get one. You're going to sell. Some of us have so much junk in our house that we never play with. Old gaming systems that we spent five, six, seven hundred dollars on it. Sell something. Sell anything you can, but you get a thousand dollars and you get started. Now, can I tell you where I put mine? I just want to say this. I put mine with the Solomon Foundation online. Solomon Foundation is that organization that is helping us fund our building. And guess what? Can I tell you about the Solomon Foundation and my emergency fund? When the stock market went down, I lost zero. Because they don't put any money in the market. It's all in expanding God's kingdom and the churches. And I don't lose anything. And so you need to save for famines. That's the first level. Second level is this. Save for fun. Save for fun. Yeah. You like that one. No one's ever told you this. Like, your parents said, you better save some of that money. But what for? Save for fun. I want to have fun in this life. I bet you do too. I want to do fun things. I want to go fun places. I want to go on vacations. And I want to buy stuff. And I want to buy my wife something for our anniversary. I want, that's fun to me. I want to do those kind of things. Here, can I just encourage you? Save for fun. Save for purchases and things you want to buy. One day, I'm going to buy them golf clubs. What, guess what? Start saving. Don't just keep saying one day. Like money's going to drop out of the sky and God's going to provide some miracle. Save for fun. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that before. But why not? That's what it's for. Save for fun. And here's why. Because most of us, we don't save for fun, but we got to have fun. And so we charge it and we go into debt for it. Can I tell you something that's not fun? Debt. Debt's not fun. You know that, don't you? You're almost out. You're almost caught. Can, can we give it up for Hannah? This fall, this girl's been working her tail off. She is going to be debt-free. And listen, a weight is gone. And guess what? You're going to have fun. You're going to have fun. It's fun getting out of debt, isn't it? But being in debt is no fun at all. And that's why, listen, save for fun. I know we don't, we, but we're going to learn to be patient. And we're going to save for fun. And here's the, here's the third one. Save for the future. What is the future that you want? Think about it. What is the future that you dream? Why don't you start saving and preparing for it? See, a lot of us have dreams, but we're expecting God just to drop them out of the sky instead of maybe God is saying, I gave you this dream when you were young so that you could prepare for it. Save for the future. What do you want? Do you, do you want to retire at a certain age? Do you want to be able to live in a certain place? Do you want to be able to bless your grandkids and help pay for their college some way? Do you want to become generous? Do you, do you want to go on mission trips every single year? Do you want to have it? Save for it. Save for the future. It will come, trust me. It goes really fast. Save for your kids as they're growing up. Save. Listen, these are levels. That's why I call it levels because the starting point is you're going to save for a famine. And then, and then you're going to learn to save for fun. And then you're going to save for the future. And as you do, can I just tell you, it's, it's, you are going to find yourself in a place where you're going to have peace. 
in the middle of a pandemic. I'm not freaking out because I got an emergency fund. You know my hope and dream for my emergency fund? I want to have at least three months. I keep putting money, every paycheck into it. I want at least three months of all my bills covered. House, food, utilities. Save for these things. If we would learn, conservation is the key to preservation. Let me give you the second one. If God brings blessing and God brings famine, position yourself for the blessing. Position yourself for the blessing. I want you to consider this. If God brings blessing, and he can, and God can bring famine, what I want to do and what you want, I know this, is to position yourself for the blessing. I have learned something that I, I just, I didn't want to skip past today that has positioned me to experience the blessing of God on a regular basis. It's a principle that you can find all throughout God's word. It's this principle of the first fruits. Let let me say what the first fruits are. Okay, the principle of the first fruits is this, is that God wants to know that he gets your first and your best. God wants to be first in your life and in mine. And the principle of the first fruit is found throughout Scripture from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 4, all the way through the New Testament, is this idea that if we will give to God the first and the best of our increase, that God promises a blessing. I want to live in the blessing of God. I'm not saying that we won't ever experience famines. But what I'm saying is that we can experience God's blessing inside of the famine. I can experience God's blessing in a time where the pandemic is running wild and people are freaking out. And the greatest blessing he can give me is peace. The greatest blessing I can have is knowing that I put God first and that he's my provider. And I'm trusting God with everything. And I didn't just sit around expecting God to give me a bailout. But I have been faithful with the first fruits. God's word says this. Listen. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, what is that word? First fruits. With the first fruits of all your crops. And here's the promise. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. That sounds like abundance to me, guys. And your vats will brim over with new wine. This is what we want. I want to live and experience the blessing of God in my life. And you and I, we can experience that kind of blessing. We really can. And there's a way that we can honor God with the first fruits. Now, this is something that I have learned in my life, and I am so grateful that I was taught this at a young age. And some of you, if you're young, would you listen to me? And if you're older and you go, I've never, I've never heard this before, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that's going to really, this could impact your financial future. I learned how do I honor God with the first fruits? That I can honor God with what's called a tithe. A tithe. It's a word that if you hang around the church long enough, some people hate. I actually don't hate that word because I know that it positions me to experience a blessing from God. The word tithe literally means a tenth part. That's what it means, a tenth part, 10%. Here's what we see throughout Scripture. God gave them a measurement of the first fruit. He said, if you will honor me with the tithe, the first 10% of what I bless you with, here's what God says I'm going to do. I am going to bless you with more. I am going to favor your life, not just more financially, but can I tell you there's greater blessings than financial? He's going to give me peace, relationships, my marriage, my kids. There is a blessing that we get into when we experience through the faithfulness of the tithe. And I, I have lived this my entire adult life, and I'm just going to tell you something. I don't miss it. Some of you watch this right now, you're going, 
10%. Do you realize how much money that is? I don't have that. Can I tell you why? It's because we consume it all. If Joseph were to show up today in 2020, in the middle of our pandemic, I think Joseph would look at us and he would say, get a wise and discerning person to govern your finances. Because I know that famines come. And God attaches promises if we will honor him with the first fruits, with the tithe. I love Malachi 3, 10, and 11. Here's what it says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Whenever God talks about his house, he's talking about his church, the place of worship. They went to the temple. Test me in this. God wants to test. He says, test me. Test, test my blessing. He says, and see, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. We often stop there, but I had to read verse 11 this time. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Can I just tell you something? Uh, this is not even an option for me. I have lived long enough and I have seen the faithfulness of God. I've seen the abundance of God. I have seen him provide for us in every stage in the blessing times and the famine time. And this is a non-negotiable. God will always get my first 10%. He will always get that. Why? Because it positions us for the blessing. I have seen, listen, the things that he talks about in our context, I have seen that. My wife and I, we joke all the time about our cars you know, we joke all the time, but we our washer and dryer. Can I tell you about our washer and dryer real quick? We have had the same washer and dryer set for over 20 years. Front loaders, those don't last. Everybody will tell you today, don't buy a front loader. We had a repairman come over to look at it because it was doing something with electrical. Ended up being nothing at all. And you know what he told us? He said, how old is this? And at the time, I was like 16 years old. He's like, it still works? He said, none of these last. I don't know. I don't know what that means. All I know is that I want to position. If God brings blessing and he can bring famine, I want to position myself for the blessing. Get you a wise and discerning person. I'm asking you a question today. Are you wise and discerning? If you want to know what wisdom is, here's what I would do. This is my takeaway from Joseph. And I'm giving you a whole series in one message. Here's my takeaway. This is wisdom when it comes to our finances. God gets the first 10%. I save the next 20%, a fifth. And then I'm going to live on what's left. God gets the first 10%. I'm going to save. I love how Dave Ramsey, he says, saving is paying yourself. I'm going to save the next. This is a principle that my wife and I, that we have tried to live by. Sometimes we don't always save 20%. But if you want to know a mark for saving for your famines and saving for fun and saving for the future, 20%. If you could do that, and I know some of you go, there's no way. Why? It's because we consumed it all. Joseph were to show up today, he would say, that's dangerous living. Don't live that way. Here's a wise thing to do. Save. Put God first. Save and live on what's left. And let me tell you what will happen. God will bless you. He will put his hand upon you, even in the midst of a pandemic. I'm not saying that you won't be impacted. We've all been impacted by this. I'm not saying that, but can I just tell you, I'm not freaking out. 
I, I know there's times where I, I kind of think about it and I get concerned, but I am not freaking out. Why? Because I have been preparing to survive a financial famine. I don't know if I've prepared well enough, guys. But I've done all that I can. I feel like that God's called me to do. So guess what? Now I just trust him. Now I just trust him with the rest of it. You know, I wanted to go back to that big question and we're going to close. Here's this big question that we've been asking. Why, God? Why does God even allow famines? Why would God cause a famine? It just seems like if God is good, then why do, why do we have to deal with that which we think is bad? And I just wonder, um, I wonder if maybe our perspective is a little different than God's. I was really trying to, I'm trying to work through this too. And I felt like God kind of spoke something to my heart because I was like, God, why? And I thought, what if God sees blessing and famine differently than we see it? You see, we think of blessing meaning get more is always good. Blessing equals good. And we think of famine, less, drought, okay, equals bad. In our minds, more is good, less is bad. This is what we think. So if God's going to be blessed, awesome. But why would God allow a famine? And I couldn't help but wonder if God sees it differently. What if God doesn't see blessing as good and famine as bad? But what if God sees that both of them are necessary? You know, I was thinking about it as a parent. There are times when I don't give my kids everything that they want. Parents, there are times, you know this, when you actually have to withhold things that they love. You know what I'm talking about? Where you take things away, where you discipline, where you do these things like that. Why do we do it? We do it because we love them. We do it because I don't want to raise a self-centered. I don't want to raise a kid who, who is consumed with themselves, who always thinks that I get more, who becomes greedy because I take the blessing of God and it becomes an expectation. And, and, and I wondered if God maybe sees us the same way. And what if God thinks, what if he thinks both are necessary for my benefit, for your benefit, for our world's benefit? What if God doesn't see famines as a bad thing? What if God sees famines as a necessary thing? What if we would never know the blessing of God if we didn't first have to experience what it's like to not have it? What if we always just expected that we would have more and more and more and we normalize the blessing of God so that we forget about God? What if God says, you know what? I'm going to give them blessing, but I'm also going to give famine. Why? Because I'm going to teach them some things. What if God walks us through famines and God doesn't see it as an evil thing? See, that's the problem. We think it's evil. What if God doesn't see it as evil, but God sees it as necessary to develop us and shape us and what if God wants to use this pandemic to change some things in your life, to change some things in my life? You know, I found out that there are some things that I will never learn except to be in a season of lack. I'll never learn to trust God the way I should unless I go through a famine. That I'll never learn that God is faithful unless I go through a famine. I'll never learn. There are some things that we'll never learn if we don't. And I just, 
I don't have a great answer other than to say, maybe God doesn't see it the way we do. Maybe God sees them both as necessary for our lives. And so I, I don't know how this lands with you today, but all I know is for all of you, this is my heart. I want us to survive financial famines. Maybe right now we're going to go through something hard. and Maybe we're not prepared. Maybe God's going to use this to wake us up and to say, it's time to conserve so that we can be preserved. And if God can bring blessing and famine, I'm going to get on the side of his blessing. Amen. Would you just pray with me today? God, we, we know that there are a lot of people that are living in this time that are afraid right now. God, they're scared, they're worried, they're nervous. I think maybe, God, a lot of us in our world today, we're not prepared for a famine. And God, I pray right now in this moment that, God, you would give us the wisdom and discernment, like Joseph, Lord, to be able to see the situation and to see, God, the, the, the power of your word. Jesus, you said that if we will take your word and put it into practice, that it creates a foundation underneath of us. So, God, I pray right now that you would teach us, that, God, you're showing us what it looks like to have some real footers in the ground, not just for our faith, but our finances. God, so that we can survive, so that we can tell the world of God's faithfulness in the midst of a famine. God, I I really believe that maybe all of Egypt was blessed because of Joseph, because, God, you were with Joseph. Because of your plan and purpose for Joseph and his family, because of that, all the nation of Egypt experienced blessing. And God, my prayer is that right now in the middle of this pandemic in our country, that our entire world would be blessed because of your people who are blessed. That God, we would live in such a way not to consume everything that you have entrusted to us, but God, that we would be wise with it. God, teach us what to do with this today. Listen, as we're praying, I just... I wonder if some of you, maybe this has been a a, a struggle for you to believe in God. It's been a struggle for you to to trust God because you have gone through hardship. You've gone through pain. You've gone through hard things. You say, why would God allow this? Can I just tell you that sometimes the hardest moments in our life are the very moments that God uses to bring us to himself. And I just wonder if right now in this season, instead of running from God, God, he is extending his hand to you and he's saying, will you accept me? Will you accept me to be the Lord of your life, to follow you? And and I just believe maybe some of you today, right now, the spirit of God is just prompting you right where you are. Maybe no one's around, maybe your kid's around, but you know inside, there's, this is a moment. Right now, just you and God, it's time for you to surrender your life to him. I understand that God, you bring blessing, you bring family. I'm giving my life to you. I'm going to surrender it completely to you. God wants you to know that he is good, that he is loving, and he is so good and loving that he came to die for your sin and my sin. That's what Jesus did. And today, if you want to accept Jesus' greatest decision of your life and put your faith in him, that you can respond right now. Come on, with all of us, you can respond in this situation. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want to invite you, if today you're ready to receive eternal life through Christ, that you're going to type life right now in the comments. Or if you're online on our church website, you're going to click the little banner that says, today I'm making a decision for Jesus to be my Savior. If that's you, just type the word life in the comments. This is your response to God in this moment. Maybe right now you're just realizing that God, God is, he's there. He's there. He's in, he's with you in the middle of this situation like he was with Joseph. And he's calling you home. 
If that's you today, if this is your prayer, would you pray this with me? Say, Heavenly Father, today I give my life to you. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. You love me so much. You're with me right now. I sense your presence. God, I don't know what the future looks like, but I want a future with you. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sin right now. Today I place my faith in you. I invite you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. And so from this day forward, I choose to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said together, amen. Hey, listen, I just want to celebrate with you if you prayed that prayer. Listen, I believe that you made the greatest decision ever. And as we finish singing this last song, it's a song about building our life upon a rock, and that rock is Jesus. And so today, I want to encourage you to respond by worshiping him, and let's build our lives upon Jesus.